Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life.
It's not something to get rid of. Rather, the way we pay attention to self-aversion is actually the ground of the past. themselves. 
In his signature cardigan and sneakers, Mr. Rogers offered a wholesale message of generosity and love that changed the landscape of television and shaped a generation of children. Our guest today, Gavin Edwards, new release, Kindness and Wonder, Why Mr. Rogers Matters Now More Than Ever, pays tribute to this cultural icon, the unique gentle man who embodied the best of what we could be. Gavin Edwards is the New York Times bestselling author of 11 books, including The Tao of Bill Murray, Last Night at the Viper Room, The World According to Tom Hanks, and the widely successful Excuse Me While I Kiss This Guy series of misheard lyrics collections. A longtime contributor at Rolling Stone, he has written for The New York Times, Wired, Billboard, Details, GQ, and appeared on numerous television programs, including The Today Show, Entertainment Tonight, and Jeopardy. He's also moonlighted as a game designer, a photographer, and a demolition derby driver. I like that one. And today it gives me great pleasure to welcome Gavin Edwards on the air. Gavin, thanks for joining us today. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me, Sister Jenna. Yes, yes. For some of our listeners who may not be familiar with Mr. Rogers or his neighborhood, you know, conversation and presence, could you please tell us a little bit about them? I'd be happy to. So Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was uh, a show on public television five days a week um, through approximately uh, the early 1960s uh, till 2001. So for four decades, Every day, uh, Fred Rogers would uh, come in singing, it's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, it's a beautiful day. And he would uh, change from a jacket into a sweater and uh, take off his shoes and put on his sneakers. And he would, in the first half of the show, uh, sort of like look into the camera and talk uh, directly to children and sort of like, you know, sort of he would uh, share things with them about the world and maybe like do something uh, simple like show a video of visiting a crayon factory or visit a neighbor who was, uh, you know, sort of like baking uh, muffins. And then the second half of the show, he would go to uh, a place called the Neighborhood of Make-Believe uh, where uh, he did all of the puppets and it was sort of like a dream world where anything could happen. And it was a show aimed at uh, young children but it was a show that was like imbued with this very peaceful spirit. And it was a show where, you know, he would look into the camera regularly and tell children that, you know, sort of like they were special and that they had made his day special just by being themselves. And so there's a whole multiple generations of children who have this sense of peace and well-being that came from watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I used to love watching Mr. Rogers back in the day and, I have to tell you, I don't have the time that I do what I did back then, but I miss television like that, Gavin. I miss it. I miss the soul being nurtured at a level that I know it's safe. Nowadays, even if my friends and I go out and we happen to go to see a movie, they all close my eyes when it comes on to the first part. <laughs> it's like, okay, Sister Jenna, just let us hold your eyes and your ears for now. And I'm like, I know, I know. It's like I have not seen anything without violence or something, even though some do have a good message. They've often had to include the violence and the sex and the deceit to somehow amplify its um I guess it's attraction to the culture that we're in right now because we're in such a culture of violence. And I look at what Mr. Rogers offered, and it wasn't a violent story. He spoke to the 
the value of the person, wouldn't you say? Yes. The value of the person. I would person. say that's absolutely true. And he was, you know, sort of would much rather, you know, he would have songs about, you know, sort of like there's one called What Do You Do With the Mad That You Feel, uh, where, you know, he sort of like says, you know, he doesn't have to show people like, you know, sort of like bopping each other on the head. He can like sort of... Right thing to children about, hey, you know, like maybe you can go play with clay or maybe you can like, you know, sort of go outside and yell for a minute or just letting, uh, you know, like giving, you know, sort of explicitly young children, but implicitly right. all of us, you know, sort of like other avenues of expressing that rather than just sort of like vicariously like watching the violence. Well, today's audiences will definitely be reminded of Mr. Rogers' uplifting persona in the upcoming TriStar film. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, in which Tom Hanks actually stars as the real-life Fred Rogers. For more than 30 years, he was a fixture in American homes. Why do you feel Mr. Rogers' neighborhood was so popular, and why the interest in it in these times? Well, I think, you know, as know you probably feel, and I suspect your listeners do as well, it's not our imagination. The world is getting nastier. It's getting louder. It's getting cruder. It feels like it's uh, just even like in the last few years uh, that, you know, sort of like the culture just sort of like has dialed that up to 11. And, you know, sort of it, it feels like it's very hard to be one person, you know, trying to like sweep back the ocean with a broom. But, uh, you know, sort of like I think a lot of people – are uh, you know, are looking for that sense of calm and decency that he expressed, and uh, he seems like a real, uh, you know, sort of like a very valuable, uh, you know, counterbalance to what's going on around us. Yeah, I guess it's the contrast of the times we're in. So let's talk about you. What led you to actually write a book about Mr. Rogers, and how do you go about your research for the book? Was it easy? Was it hard? I uh, came to Mr. Rogers because. Uh, often write about pop culture people, you know, so for example, like I wrote a book about Bill Murray, which is all about, you know, sort of like he does these antic things where like he'll crash somebody's party, he'll wash the dishes, and then he'll leave. And uh, so in his case, he's just trying to give people a jolt. He's trying to like wake them up a little bit uh, by doing something unexpected. Um, and I'm interested in people who have this core philosophy and express it not just through their work, but through their lives. And Fred Rogers seemed to be just, you know, sort of the very embodiment of that. Like, you know, sort of, it was, he had this bone deep commitment to, like, the welfare of children and everything he did, uh, you know, sort of like, on, certainly on a show, but also in real life, where he would, if he spotted a child standing awkwardly in the corner of a room, he would sort of leave the adults he was with and get down on one knee and go talk to that kid and make sure the kid was okay. So uh, the research, I went up to uh, Latrobe, Pennsylvania, which is where he grew up and uh, the, where his archives are now, and went through a lot of his old papers. And I interviewed some people who worked with him. But some of the most uh, meaningful stuff to me was uh, the time I spent interviewing people who had uh, had interactions with him. And that in some cases, you know, sort of spoke with someone who had suffered a terrible loss in his life and wrote this heartbroken letter to Mr. Rogers, thinking maybe I'll get a form letter back, but I just want him to know that, like, he played an important uh, part in my life. And two days later, I got a phone call. You know, to say it's Fred Rogers on the line saying, like, hey, do you want to talk about it? And that was the kind of person he was, you know, not right. just on camera, but also off camera. I know. It's just like nowadays people don't really meet each other face-to-face -face or call each other anymore. We send texts. 
<laughs> this right, <year>. yes. <laughs> yeah, it's and, just so impersonal. <laughs> and he very much believed, he was a big believer in communication. That, yeah. you know, he sort of would always, uh, you know, sort of uh, say that, you know, sort of if somebody doesn't understand what you're saying, find, uh, uh, you know, sort of another way of saying it. I mean, he thought of it in, like, the religious terms that, you know, like it was holy ground, uh, like the space mm-hmm. between the speaker and the listener. And, it really you know, is. and, you know, he made sure to keep the, you know, like the people that, uh, you know, were important to him, like in his thoughts and his prayers. And, you know, he woke up, went to bed every night at 930 and woke uh-huh. up every morning at five so he could spend hours, you know, in sort of like quiet reflection and prayer and reading and, uh, you know, sort of before he started his day. He made a point of, uh, you know, sort of having like that calm, spiritual, like contemplative time. Mm, well, he came across in his personality. Was there anything surprising that you had learned about Fred Rogers during your research? I didn't realize the extent to which everything he did on the show was so thought out and precise in a way that went over my head when I was a child. You know, he had. Uh, he had studied child development, uh, uh, very purposeful. And uh, one example that I really love is that you may remember on the show, he would uh, come in uh, the door and he would go left to right on your screen. And he would always mm-hmm. try to stage the action left to right. The trolley goes left to right when it goes to the neighborhood of make-believe. And the reason was he wasn't drilling children on like letters and numbers the way Sesame Street did. But he was quietly and subtly teaching them to read. He was getting them ready to just sort of have that orientation of, you know, sort of like your eyes will go from left to right for important action. And so I love that, you know, like just how sort of thoughtful and uh, caring that was. In the book, you share dozens of interviews with people that you interviewed whose lives were touched very deeply by Fred Rogers. Was there something that was extremely memorable for you that you had heard? My favorite one was probably, um, you know who Rita Moreno is? Yes, I do. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so um, the singer and actress, uh, the, mm-hmm. the EGOT mm-hmm. winner, West Side Story, and so on. And uh, she, uh, in the 1970s, um, came on the show. At the time, she was also on a PBS show, The Electric Company. Um, and, uh, and she came on uh, with her family. And so uh, Rita sang uh, one of Mr. Rogers' songs, It's You I Like. And her husband was a medical doctor, and so actually a lot of the visit was Mr. Rogers talking with him and sort of showing children like what's in her husband's like uh, medical bag, so that you know to help demystify it for the next time they see a doctor. And they had a young daughter who was a big fan of Mr. Rogers, um, but was also very shy, and spent like the whole visit, you know, sort of like clinging to like Rita, like hanging on to her leg. Then at the end, uh, Mr. Rogers, you know, sort of doesn't push her, but says, would you like to feed the fish? And uh, the daughter says yes, and they feed the fish and leave. And what happened next was what really, you know, sort of stayed with Rita decades later uh, because it was completely unplanned. But Mr. Rogers, like, looks into the camera and tells uh, the audience, you know, sort of, did you see how she was very shy? And uh, that's fine. Did you see also how her parents love her very much? And she felt it was just, like, heart-bursting for her that, you know, sort of, like, they took this moment and made shy children watching it uh, feel that sense of, like, sort of acceptance and love uh, that, you know, like, he read the situation and that he found a way to make it useful. 
Wow, wow. How interesting that he could pull that out, though. Yeah. He had an insight into the psychology of folks, didn't he? Wouldn't you say? He absolutely did. I think that was, mm-hmm. you know, like both through training and through inclination that, you know, sort of like he was a, above anything. He was a very, very good listener. Uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, sort of, it, it was funny when I was doing the research, I would read, you know, like lots of newspaper interviews that he did over the years. And almost all of them say, well, I called with all of these questions from Mr. Rogers, but then he started asking me questions, and I ended <laughs> up spending half the time talking about myself. And, uh, but then, yeah, like he just, it happens. Yeah he, yeah, he didn't really care to speak about himself, but he was fascinated by other people, and you know, he wanted to talk to them and get to know who they were. Lovely. Now, one of the things that you've also said that Fred Rogers had offered a piece of advice from his mother which um, people seem to revisit every time, unfortunately. Whenever there's a tragedy or something horrible in the news, like a fire or a crash, he says, look for the helpers. Uh, His mother always told him, like, look for the helpers. There will be somebody helping. And it's true. What did he mean by that? If there's news footage, you know, sort of like in front of like a building on fire, you will also see, you know, there's firemen there, there's uh, ambulances, there are people who have shown up just for the purpose of helping the people who are in need. And then it's true, uh, you know, sort of in a more metaphoric sense, that, you know, sort of like when it feels like the world is on fire, there are people out there who are doing everything they can to, like, help fellow humans and help the world. And implicitly, you know, you can choose to be one of those people. Right, right. It's just so true. It's so simple, but yet sometimes we might not be aware of it in that moment. And I hate to know that we have to even talk about this because there's still so much mass murder and natural disasters taking place, and we wish it wouldn't. It, it imbues the sense of helplessness, but that's yeah. uh, you know sort of like not a good place to be. You know, sort of when you feel helpless, you know, sort of it's not good for your own psyche, and it's not good for the people around you, and it's not good for the world. You know, sort of like. Right. Like, know that there are people making things better and know that if you choose, you can be one of them. This might be um, a fruitless question, but I want to hear what your words are. Um, Why do you think we need Mr. Rogers today more than ever? The way I think about this is, uh, I mean, I spoke a little bit before about just sort of it feels uh, like in our uh, current uh, public environment, it would be people feel assaulted uh, by the news. And I think that bleeds over into like how people uh, like behave in their daily life. And, you know, sort of nobody can be Mr. Rogers a hundred percent of the time, except I guess Mr. Rogers was, and, you know, it can feel daunting, you know, sort of like people sometimes take it as an implicit challenge, uh, like uh, if uh, they're not doing it all the time, but if everyone listening to this show says, I want to be like 3% more like Mr. Rogers, uh, that, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to take a couple of moments every day where I'm sort of thoughtful and I listen to the people around me and, uh, you know, sort of like, uh, you know, I see sort of like uh, an unhappy child and I do what I can to make things better. If there's just a little bit more like light in their lives, like that's going to mean that there's like a little bit more like light in the lives of the people around them. And step by step, live in a place that's a little more like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I get that. That's great. In the book, you discuss ten ways to incorporate the lessons of Mr. Rogers into our lives. Can you share a few of them? And sure. Maybe the most important lessons. 
Well, um, I think the the most fundamental lesson uh, that he said over and over was be deep and simple. And uh, that, you know, he said strongly believe that was much better than, you know, sort of like uh, being sort of having two inches of knowledge and being complex. Uh, and that's in many ways the hardest lesson for me to bring into my own life because my instinct is like, oh, let me check this thing on my phone and let me like read this thing for a little bit. And I like having 17 different books going at once. And I have found that in my life, you know, many of the most rewarding experiences have been when I focus on one thing for a time, when I take on like a bigger project, when I put down roots, when I'm, you know, sort of like build a relationship uh, with somebody. So it goes against, you know, perhaps my natural instincts, but I know that many of the deepest, most rewarding things in my life have come from that. And some of the other lessons are, you know, sort of be kind to strangers, make a joyful mm-hmm. noise, you know, like bring music into your life, tell the truth. I mean, it's simple stuff, but it's still just like fundamental like lessons of life that you know sort of like can make your world better. Mm, that's great. That's so great. Considering the chaos, the divisiveness, the instability that we're witnessing in the world, Gavin, uh, are you still hopeful about the future? Can we bring forward kindness and more respect? Do you have hope? I do. I think that you know sort of I think of this um uh, you know sort of the, in terms of, like, I think that sometimes just like literally, you know, the planet is getting warmer. And it's going to, you know, we've already turned a point, like, it is going to keep getting warmer. But we can make, we can have a better version of that future or we can have a worse version, you know, sort of like, um, and so it is incumbent on us, uh, you know, like, we have a moral responsibility to say, like, we're going to leave, like, a better planet for our children. And, uh, you know, and not just say, oh, things are going downhill. Well, it doesn't matter. Let's pour gasoline on the fire. And I think I see enough people who are trying to do the right thing and trying to steer things, you know, like uh, you know, in the case of uh, the planet of saying, you know, like we're not going to have the temperatures keep rising. But then in the case of how people live their lives, say, you know, like we don't have to like accept, you know, sort of like noise and clamor and hostility that, you know, like there's people trying to find, you know, sort of like peace and forgiveness. And so I am hopeful, uh, even though sometimes the world uh, can seem like a hopeless place, uh, there's a lot of people trying to do things to make it better. Yeah, that's really good. And I think if we give up on a hope, what do we have, right? Right. (laughs) Yeah, what else do we have? So as you move into the book and all of this, are there any book signings? Are you on a tour? How's the book doing? Um, the, the book has been out one week, um, and uh, it seems to be doing well. I've had some uh, uh, book signings. Um, I'm going to um, uh, be at uh, – they've all been in North Carolina. Um, uh, I may be doing a, a more of a nationwide thing uh, later on, um, but uh, people can follow my uh, – uh, website I'm gavinedwards.com and I make announcements there like when there's more events coming up. Yeah. It's glad to hear lots of good wishes for the book Gavin it's really timely and we do need a lot more beauty and kindness in the world and I'm happy that you're bringing that forward really appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's uh, been a lovely mm-hmm. conversation. I appreciate you having me on the show. Same here. Come back again. Take care now sister Dan. Take care. Bye-bye. It's so nice for us to look into more kind narratives, and it becomes just too normal for us to be really 
harsh and rough with each other and thinking that it's normal. And I get it. I get it. If that's what you see all the time, if that's what you keep hearing all the time, if you don't make some extra effort, then it's just going to get you. You're going to become exactly that. So please don't give up hope. Keep looking inside of yourselves and pulling the best thoughts possible. You can definitely go to see some old reruns with Mr. Rogers if you wanted to remember what it meant to be normal, healthy human beings. It'll definitely help you. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission and really are here to love each other the same. I'm going to end the show today with Kristen Hoffman. Here is love and kindness. Take care. Love
I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.